0: Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 47. Can you believe it? Here we go to a half century on the horizon. And to help us celebrate that, I need your help. Please rate, review, download, subscribe, like, do whatever you got to do as we are heading towards 2022, which is going to be spectacular. Join the Soccer OG masses as we get you prepared for a World Cup year the best way possible with some great guests, some great analysis, and by me watching countless number of games, which I love to do, quite frankly. This week on the Soccer OG, my good friend Joe Rodriguez of El Tri Online, a gentleman that we experienced an incredible year. We traveled all over the United States to cover... The CONCACAF Games, USA-Mexico, big plans to do this internationally. We have our eyes on trips to both sides of the border coming up in 2022 as we get closer to determining who will represent CONCACAF at the World Cup in Qatar. And we'll talk about the World Cup in Qatar and how it's, it's time to look at it on its own merits and maybe have those conversations with the Qatari public, which I'm looking to do here as well. Also, in stoppage time we will look at the Boxing Day and holiday festivities of the Premier League. As everyone starts to reach out and take a bigger piece of the pie, why the Premier League has to look internally and possibly find a way to help its players, help its clubs by clearing some of the playing responsibilities, by listening to the powers that be, certainly in this era of covid to relieve some pressure because the players are certainly getting overwhelmed that's not me saying it that's them saying it we'll talk a little bit about that here on stoppage time but we are ready to go heading towards the final days of 2021 here on the soccer og it's been a great ride let's go we are back into a gentle reminder a gentle reminder that the soccer OG on YouTube is available. Max Bretos, go to that, go to that address and you will find it all there. Put in the soccer OG, you'll find it. As well, we will be talking about this potential move of Ricardo Pepe to Europe. We talked about Wolfsburg, it's not finalized, but it seems like they are the front runners. And what does that mean for Pepe? We've talked about all the key players in the U.S. system, or some of them, Christian Pulisic, Sergio Des. and is it time for them to make a move? I think it's probably the case for all three of them. And in Ricardo Pepe, we trust. So uh, we begin this new European adventure. The problem with Pepe is we got to make sure he plays games because now we're into 2022. It's a World Cup year. Also coming up on that YouTube show, looking to drop it on Wednesday, my soccer OG awards the year that was the look back at the best American players the best CONCACAF players and we'll have this big extravaganza of an award show so look out for that coming in the not too distant future when I say that I mean in a couple days probably Wednesday (laughs) don't hold me to it this is uh, I hope everyone's had a nice festive time and had some time to reflect and recharge the batteries, spend time with family and friends. I know a lot of folks out there don't get to do that. A lot of players in the English Premier League right now are not going to get to do that. So we'll talk about that in stoppage time uh, about the uh, the situation for this Premier League, which is the biggest league, which is the big money uh, league, and how they're continuing to reach out for that money. Maybe sometimes they got to peel back a little bit. As they make these big promises to the broadcasters because it is in such high demand. Boxing Day, I really enjoyed it, and uh, it's 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 a fantastic look. And with Boxing Day, I think you keep Boxing Day. Everyone loves it in England. Look, far be it for me to say to stop doing something that they've been doing for over 130 years. It's part of uh, it's part of the tradition. It's part of being English, British. Is to get up and see your team on box stands, so well attended. But maybe they're get a given break somewhere else, right? Maybe give it a break because remember these other leagues are all stopped, many by necessity. It's too cold, but you know they stop, and many because of religious obligations. Quite frankly, so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, moving ahead. And I'll talk about what happened in the uh, in the Boxing Day fixtures. My West Ham United taking a hit. Uh, they're, ha- they're 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 sputtering in the final month of the season, so uh, falling out of those top four. I think they're still in sixth. Still a great season, and lots of goals, lots of goals. And it looks like no one's going to catch Manchester City. Christian Pulisic, he has become a science experiment for Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel even said it, saying Christian Pulisic is low on confidence playing him at the number nine it's not his ideal position but maybe it gets him confidence well we saw this game against Aston Villa it did not do that halftime he kept him in there which is good but he played him at right wing back this can't continue you can't be that guy and say can you play here can you I just want to play where I want to play where I'm good at and he's never been given that opportunity and uh it's something that I've been screaming from the hilltops for many many weeks and I'm I feel as right about it as I've ever been. So uh, we'll see how that unfolds, but maybe he's part of a, J- a January move. I doubt it, but we shall see. Ricardo Pepe, it does appear, he will be moving here very shortly. We'll talk more about that on stopper Time, So we'll leave that, that discussion. Coming up in the business end, Joe Rodriguez of L3 Online. Uh, I reached out to him, I said, let's talk about what we did this year when we had trips to Uh, Denver and Las Vegas and trips to Cincinnati. We covered USA Mexico. We're looking to continue to do that but it became a much better conversation on many fronts as it tends to do on the Soccer OG. It's a stream of consciousness. This isn't an interview show. This is a place where we have a conversation. and You don't pick where conversations go but it went to a lot of good places. We talked about dual nationals. We talked about where Mexico stands right now. Where does the united states stand in the picture of where does kunkakaf stand and we're going to make a very bold prediction about the world cup in 2022 so i think you're going to want to stick around for that actually it's coming up right now so you're going to stick around we appreciate all of you please get engaged with the soccer og 2022 we're taking it to a whole new level time now for the business end let's go back time now for the business end and i'm going to welcome in a good friend and a gentleman who had several adventures with this past year we're going to talk about it as we've covered the u.s men's national team and mexico obviously a lot more uh a lot more thrilling to cover the red white and blue right joe rodriguez of el tri online
1: (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't say uh that but it is very (laughs) thrilling to cover the red white and blue i'm I'm. look i'll I'll be honest max i think that for me personally being a bilingual bicultural mexican american i'm not like your typical mexican that completely hates the u.s yes i have very sour memories uh but at the end of the day look if the u.s performs well it's 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 a great thing i always i always give the analogy of like like conference college football, right? There's a lot of people out there that have those rivalries that they may not like their opponent. But, like, for example, if I root for the Pac-10, I'm going to root for, like, everybody else in the Pac-10 to kick the crap out of the SEC and so forth. Hey, That's Pac-10, like
0: it. what is this, 2003? be Pac-10. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> how many times? Because we worked we worked at ESPN together and when someone would say the Pac Ten or they'd say something from the past go, What are you talking about? Or like the they'd say the San Diego Chargers, like, oh really? <laughs> oh
1: my god. That goes to show you like how my uh college football basketball right. is uh not up to speed.
0: But you make a very good point. And uh Florida State, my college football, and I know I've said this before, but Their rivals are Florida and Miami. I want to beat Florida and Miami. When we're not playing them, I want Florida and Miami to do well so that when we play those games, they mean something. And if those schools are doing well, it does well for all parties involved. And look, for instance, when LAFC didn't make the playoffs in MLS and the Galaxy didn't make it, some of the LAFC fans were going, "Yay! well, good. It's good that we don't none of us make it. I go, that's not good. It's good. People are talking about L.A. soccer. And that was a a big miss because both both teams are out and now L.A. is not even on the radar. I would rather have the Galaxy in there, not for too long, mind you, maybe for a game or two uh, just to keep that going. And it gives LAFC a target. And I think the same applies for USA and Mexico. I remember right. in in two in the qualifying in 2013 and Mexico looked like they weren't going to qualify, and I'm like, look, I'd love to have Panama in the World Cup, but the reality is Mexico in the World Cup helps the U.S. It makes Concacaf look good. Mexico had a great World Cup; they made the round of 16, should have made El Quinto Partido, and mm-hmm. you that, that you, in the big picture of things, FIFA goes, okay, Concacaf's having a good World Cup. We're not going to fiddle faddle with taking away a a bid away or punish them for this. We got to raise the standard. And that's why it's good that USA, Mexico, and I'm very excited about the development of Canada and obviously Central American nations and the Caribbean. We hope you come around as well. And I, th- I think a couple of them will, the more the merrier I'm pulling for all these nations exactly. to do well.
1: Exactly. I would never root even, uh, especially in the Cup, right? Like I would never root for, uh, Panama to lose to Germany or to lose to any African team or, Australia. I would always root for all my fellow Concacaf teams to perform well. There, whether that's going to happen or not, that's different. But Max, also like the other thing to consider, um, one of the things, for example, uh, in uh, when they guy Max used to uh, play in Copa Libertadores, right? It was always exciting to watch. You know, the Mexican teams play against the South American teams, especially the powerful, like uh, you know Boca Juniors and Rivers. I mean, those were battles, and you probably remember that.
0: Yeah, you know. And it was good so, to see Tigres or Chivas or whoever make a run in those tournaments. Cause that made league MX look good. And that made the South Americans take notice.
1: Exactly. And that's the same thing, right? Like that could be said when, when, uh, when you have MLS teams that are performing well, uh, you know, like for example, when LAFC made that run, what was it? Two years ago, right. In the Cogacaf where they made it all the way to the finals Yep. by having to defeat three teams, three Mexican teams. Right? I'm sure that there's probably a lot of MLS fans out there that were rooting for LAFC.
0: Yes, I agree. And I think I had that discussion when it was happening. And you know, no one's going to say it outwardly, but that's good. I always root. like When Toronto FC made the final, I'm like, let's go win this. Not just get to the final, win it, because it's important for the league to win this. And if it was Philadelphia or Portland or the Galaxy, I, somebody's got to win this. It's better <laughs> that an MLS team wins, even if it's a rival. Then league MX wins it again. And we're in the same situation. It's a, it's a mess. I look when I'm thinking of watching Mexico during all their world cups, most recently in 2018, I wanted, you know, when they beat Germany, I was pumped when they made it to the, around of 16, I go good, especially with the USA not there and Panama struggling in the groups we, that was it. Mex- and Costa Rica was struggling. I go, is CONCACAF going to be left out of the round of 16? And thankfully, because of Mexico, we were not. If Mexico right. doesn't make the round of 16 and they say, wow, well, no CONCACAF teams make it, you're like,
1: kind of, it's kind of embarrassing. Max, think about this. Who was not rooting for Costa Rica against <laughs> the Netherlands in that's 2014?
0: An easy, that's an easier one. But still, I mean, uh, they're a rival, but it's not the Mexican rival. Uh, But there was probably some people that go, nah, I remember Costa Rica beat us, knocked us out. And I don't like uh, Ronald Gomez, whoever was on that team, or Celso Borges, just don't (laughs) like that guy. He's a dirty player. I'm not saying that. I'm just using as an example. But, you know, there's probably some people out there. But, man, you're crazy not to say. If Costa Rica and Mexico get to play each other for a spot in the semifinals, count me in. When Memo Ochoa is making whatever amount of saves against Brazil, I'm like, Heck yeah, this is good. Yeah. Now that said, it was good to see USA beat Mexico three times this year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Blow the little corneta, please. Little corneta.
0: Wow. wow. (laughs) So so as many of you may have noticed, and check out um, the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos, do a lot of videos predominantly around the U.S. men's national team because that was prevalent here with the World Cup. And Joe does the same with an incredible crew of guys. With El Tri Online. So we talked ahead of the summer and discussed about hey, why don't let's get out to Denver and see if this is something that's sustainable. So we got there, we went to the game and saw the Nations League. It almost didn't happen because remember how close Costa Rica and Honduras came to beating Mexico in the US. So we got mm-hmm. this final. And then for me on my YouTube and and on the podcast, we did a remember, we did a podcast. In the in an yeah. empty parking lot,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> at like what, like eleven o'clock, eleven thirty, no, we pump that out. Midnight. And it was one of my better, it was one of my better performing podcasts. And everything I did outside the stadium, it was my number one YouTube video outside the stadium in Denver with fans coming out talking about the Nations League. And then we did it again in Cincinnati. Had a great show there. So. We've been on the road following this and and, and get your ideas because I'm really excited. It's, it looks like USA, Mexico. We'll see, but it looks like should all make the world cup. Hopefully four teams make it, you know, hopefully Panama or whoever gets in that playoff team goes and they got a good break because they'll play Oceania, likely New Zealand. So it's a good chance yeah. to get four teams, but hopefully they all make it. And now we see a a real situation four years before North America, I'll say North America. That's USA hosting the World Cup. There will be games in Mexico and Canada, uh, which is going to be a huge year. So it's been fun to be working with you, Joe, about this. And, you know, Joe and I go way back to working at Fox, work together at ESPN. But seeing where this is going from all perspectives and what's the feeling you get about the trajectory of CONCACAF heading into a World Cup year in Qatar, in the winter, what's it going to be like?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I think that it's going to be exciting because um, with with a team like Canada up and coming, I, I think that it's no longer going to be like, oh, we're relying on the U.S. and Mexico to be the, the, the teams that end up showing face for CONCACAF. CONCACAF is, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Canada has demonstrated to have a phenomenal team. I mean, they are legit man and i i'm, I'm really looking forward because i don't think there's any way that they miss the world cup they're going to make the world cup and i think it's going to be their coming out party to be perfectly honest max i think that i can see canada making this crazy splash some probably uh, some teams out there are going to be underestimating them but they could essentially be in my opinion the dark horse of the world cup so it's just exciting times because I think soccer across the globe has kind of leveled if you really stop and think about it. Yes. You have your powerhouses, like, you know, the Brazils and, you know, the uh, Germany's and so forth. But then also like you get stories like Croatia, right? Like Croatia made it to the final. They have a phenomenal team. They have great players, but not a lot of people are banking on Croatia to really make it to the final per se. But the point is that I think across the globe, Soccer's just more leveled, and it's almost kind of like becoming like, uh, like they say in the NFL, right? Any given Sunday, any given game, anybody could be anybody. Yes, there's always going to be your favorites and so forth, but now it's no longer going to be like. Even if we see it, obviously, perf- the perfect example is close to home in Concacaf. That's why we no longer see Mexico beating everybody else seven nothing, six nothing, like they used to back in the day, and so forth. Like those scores are behind us.
0: And I just hope that, you know, I, I, I think this World Cup is going to afford those countries. You know, when I think about teams that could surprise and we look outside of Europe, and there might be a European team, but I think the European teams that are going to be there are going to be the heavy hitters. It already appears to be the case. We had Serbia slip in, but that's not a small. I mean, if Serbia made a run, I don't think it would be surprising, but it. Um, it wouldn't be viewed upon as this huge outsider because, you know, they, they knocked Portugal out of the qualifying. But outside of Portugal and Italy, you have Belgium, Germany, England, Spain. You have the big nations that are going to be competing to lift the World Cup in all likelihood again. Uh, but because it's in Qatar, because it's in the winter, I think it's going to make things a little bit different. And you look at surprises. And I was like, I was not paying attention to CONCACAF. And I was saying, oh, maybe a team like Senegal or Algeria, maybe a team like Ecuador. And then I thought about it and I go, why not a team like, And you know, we certainly would put Mexico in there, but Mexico are supposed to be competing for the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And they probably, one of these days it's going to happen, but maybe they get on that run. And then I was really thinking, why not USA and Mexico, USA and Canada? Because mm-hmm. they have the pieces, if they get a good draw, that's all that it comes down to, really. You know, if you, yeah. if you get a good you get a, a team on a bad day, or if you get a team that maybe wasn't supposed to be there, it can happen. And I think Costa Rica, I mean Costa Rica was crazy in 2014 because no one could have seen that coming because they were in a group with Uruguay, Italy, and England, and they won the group. And then they got Greece. So I mean, you have to earn it, but it's I think that's that can be duplicated by you know a Canadian team that is fearless. And a U.S. team that has all this talent and maybe Mexico much the way they did it, And I know I keep leaning into 2014, but that World Cup reminds me a little bit about what we're going to see in 2022. It's outside of Europe. So mm-hmm. the, the European teams won't have that huge advantage. So there will be there will be some surprises going back to uh, South Korea and Japan. That was a surprising right. World Cup, even though it ended up Germany and Brazil in the final. You had Turkey in the semis, you had South Korea, you had Senegal making a run, you had the mm-hmm. United States. So I think Qatar is going to kind of look like that. And I I mean, if you told me who could be that surprise team that could make a run, and I'm not trying to get too cute, I could say I wouldn't be surprised, as crazy as this may sound right now, the quarterfinals roll around and it's Canada versus Belgium.
1: Oh, absolutely, Max. I and, really believe that. No, yeah, and not, and not just that, but it could essentially be Either Canada, the US, or Mexico in the quarterfinals. That let's, is let's, not let's stamp under- it.
0: Let's stamp it right now, Joe. Let's say one of those three yes. are going to be in the quarterfinals yes. in yes. Qatar. Yes.
1: And, and to your point, Max, I think that you're absolutely right. Anytime the World Cup is outside of Europe, there's always surprises. Always surprises, you know, because they don't have that, that, uh, that advantage, right? And, and then also, like you said, it is going to be interesting because the world cup is going to be taking place in November and uh, in December. Right. That like it, it, I feel that that alone is just going to be a different vibe. You know, people typically go in the summer, they're the, the summer vacation and so forth. And I don't know if you wanted to dive into this or not, but like like some of the concerns that people have about the world cup being uh, played at that time is that it's going to be played or, or essentially played the World Cup is going to be competing against the NFL during some of their more important months. You know, I was telling people, do not be surprised if the World Cup outperforms, like at least on a match level basis, if the World Cup outperforms the NFL games. Yeah, that's it.
0: When Qatar first was given, you know, when Seth Platter came out with the envelope and said, Qatar, you know, my, my heart sank. <laughs> You know, I was like, no, because that was supposed to be the USA's World Cup. And it's worked out great because now we have 2026 and it's a good thing to be further away from the pandemic. We didn't know about that back then, but it's good to host a World Cup when it's hopefully everything's in the clear and we have some normalcy. And now the USA will will be able to enjoy that Qatar right. to ele- it'll get better. We hope I think it will. I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Cross
1: our fingers, cross our fingers.
0: I know I'm, I'm optimistic that this thing is starting to, based on the, the data and I'm no scientist, but just, you know, what's happening in South Africa and maybe that's going to be duplicated. And what I, you know, my, my brother's a scientist. My brother was just here and he says, that's how viruses work. They soften the blow. They soften the blow. A new strain takes over another one. And then it's, 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 it's not as powerful. That's what happened with right. the Spanish flu. And so we have a lot of, I can't, I'm going off on this tangent, but anyway, you get the idea. I think it's going to be better for Qatar. I think it's gonna be better in like a few months. And I think certainly for 2026, unless it circles back, uh, maybe it's a different virus. We should be in the clear as well. Not in the clear, but things will be a lot better. But now that all that has happened for Qatar and it's getting closer, I'm getting excited, not just because it's a world cup, but because of everything we said, evening out of the playing fields, uh, state of the art venues, um, games that we're going to watch here uh, that initially we thought, well, I'm going to be watching the NFL and I don't know if that's going to be that big of a crossover, but the games are going to be in the middle of the night. So, you know, I think we're looking at from a West coast time, you know, like midnight two, three. So it's going to be weird. We're going to be walking around like zombies for those Mm -hmm. few weeks. But I remember that in 2002 and I remember it very fondly. People are going to be tuning in in the morning to watch these games And it's going to be it's going to be a different uh, visual. uh, It's going to be optically different than we've seen. It's going to be a World Cup like we've never seen because it's in Qatar and it's the first one in the Mideast and these stadiums that look like creatures that came out of the middle of the earth like Godzilla and they settled in. And all (laughs) of that, all of that kind of gets me pretty excited now, especially now that (laughs) the U S in all likelihood will be in there. I know I'm, I'm jinxing it. Have you,
1: have you, uh, have you moved on uh, past uh, forgiving FIFA for uh, basically handing them or selling the world cup to Qatar? (laughs) It's
0: still weird. And you know what it is. It's a weird conversation and the conversations are going to continue, but my, and you've probably had this too, Joe, you know, my, uh, one of the big concerns is like, I want to talk about the games. And I did a YouTube video about this is going to be a good world cup because this is going to happen, and people go, "Well, the people, the human rights issues, the right. the situation they're going to have with women and the gay community." And I go, "Yeah, that's terrible." But I mean, w- when do we kind of soften that a bit to watch games? I want to watch the games. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sweeping that under the rug, but yeah. I want to, I, I, I want, I want us to be diligent about it and talk about it. I want to, I want to well, enjoy this World Cup, and about- at some point, we're going to have to.
1: I always, I always think about the, uh, the, the. I don't know if you ever watched that, uh, the Last Week Tonight episode with uh, John Oliver, where he talks about FIFA. And, I have um, not. Okay, so in that specific episode, he was talking about the, the, the World Cup. It was like forty eight years ago, almost. Uh, it was about Brazil, and he was talking about like he was comparing the World Cup to sausage, right? He goes like. We love it. We just don't want to know how it's made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so uh, it's tough, man, because there is a lot of issues to your point. Right. And I think that, like, you know, we're, we're, we're all culprit, like everybody that's participating. But at the end of the day, it's like it takes governments to do their job. Right. It's like if the, if the U.S. government and everybody else decided, hey, guess what? we're not going to go to the world cup and our federation is not going to the world cup, but then everybody else jumped on board and said like, we're not going to do it unless you do it somewhere else where there's no human rights issues. Then obviously that's a whole different structure, but the fans are fans at the end of the day. And it's up to the governments to actually be uh, responsible, if you will.
0: And to the people that want accountability, we've disappointed them. We have really disappointed them because no one really came out and said, Hey, we're going to boycott this world cup. We're going to uh, not send our athletes. We were, we're not going to recognize it. And if that, as you said, if the government, if our government said that we would fall in line and said, sorry, but no one ever came close, not the United States, not the European nations, which would seemingly lean into that a little bit more. We saw some teams say that they were not going to recognize. I think it was Norway that they didn't want to participate in something, but they still, if they qualify the world cup, they're going to go.
1: So, I'm I'm mean, sorry, I mean, man, it's like sausage. It's
0: like sausage. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And look, I'm still gonna eat sausage. I'm still gonna eat <laughs> sausage. And I, I'm willing to, you know, no, I think someone who's a Qatari reached out to me on a a comment on YouTube and said, "What? what it sounds like you're 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 passing some judgments. You are." Um, already vilifying this effort and he goes there's a lot of good that's going on and I was alerted that these stadiums are actually going to be lifted up and put into places where they're going to be needed and there are some good things I'm not wiping away anything I'm just saying from I heard from Qatari people and go we're hearing this all the time right. we want to welcome the world we want to show that the perception of us is a little different I don't know if that's going to come through but uh, it. in addition to um, not dwelling on some certain things that it's, it's not going to change the world cup from happening. We could put our head down and say, we are, and I don't know enough about the atrocities, whatever they are about the stadium builds. I would love to sit down with someone and really, maybe I'll do that on a podcast here in the future and talk about what does that look like in Qatar? What are we, what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? And um, if there is something there that we can kind of address it, but as this games come along a little bit sooner i it doesn't do us any good to kind of dwell on that in a bit and i want to really look at qatar and learn about the place i they've made they there's there's mistakes made there's mistakes made in a lot of places but i want to take this opportunity to learn about and see what it's like and what are they willing to concede uh, through a world cup because this is a, an outreach too right they want to yeah they want to see people come to their country they want to see it in a good light and say look we're we're not as we are perceived, or maybe there is a, a few truths, but there's not going to be well, uh, a, here, a perception here, that we've seen coming into it, which has been very negative from the very beginning. Right.
1: Well, here's the thing, Max. I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is that, you know, nations, just like people, are different. Their cultures are different, and the way that they do things are different. Um, there's a lot of things that are very cultural based that people in the western world may perceive as like oh my god how can you possibly do that but to some people that's part of their culture and i'm sure that there's people in those specific cultures that look at western culture and be like how can you do that you know so it's really hard because at the end of the day humans and 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 countries are just different you know and there's going to be conflict and there's going to be disagreements and there's going to be things that people are going to you know, complain about, like at the end of the day, like you said, it nobody's perfect and we're just not going to be able to please anyone. Right. Uh, Obviously there's some things that are very clear and more, you know, transparent, but like you said, I mean, there's a lot of the stuff out there, man, that is happening. And there's a lot of stuff that we just don't know about that we're not, you know, educated about. Um, And it's very easy for anybody to pass judgment on anything, but the truth of the matter, I always look at, you know, differences and, uh, and, you know people like it's like kind of like it's third country they have their own way of doing certain things
0: and we can't again, judge that
1: no no but that's the other thing too like like us personally again it's not our it's not our uh, our job essentially it's our government's job to do something about that you know and and we can talk about this i'm sure for hours and hours and hours and there's somebody going to be out there that's probably going to talk smack on us and saying, oh, but even if you knew, you probably still look the other way or whatever, you know? So, like, you're just not going to please anybody, man, at the yeah. end of the day. so
0: I'm not going to look the other way, but I think with Qatar, knowing that the eyes of the world are on them, they're going to take advantage of it and try and do some good things and maybe fix some mistakes they've made. And um, these laborers that came in the country, no one's going to bring them back. And this is something that Qatar has to, they're going to have to open a dialogue. But during the games in the World Cup, that should have happened, or it could happen afterwards. But with the eyes of the world on there, I think they're going to seize it and say, what can we do to make people feel that our country is a place they want to visit, that our country may have been misperceived, that our country can do great things under these circumstances? We want to prove that. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. And it's it's the recipe is there for it to be a pretty – pretty remarkable world cup for all the reasons we said i will also add that the winter olympics are going to happen here in about a month and mm-hmm. it's in china and mm-hmm. you know, they've mm-hmm. already said we're not going to the u.s government we're not going to have any diplomatic connections we're going to wipe our hands but they didn't say we're not sending our athletes
1: exactly diplomatic the athletes are, is the
0: key word. it's diplomatic so that is just that that doesn't carry a lot of weight. I mean, it's like no. okay, great. That's pol- politicians politicizing. So I'm like, great. I mean, what difference does it make? It wasn't like in 1980 where the U.S. government, when they was in Moscow, said we're not sending our athletes, which is terrible for the athletes because they they don't think of the politics. They want to compete in these games. It just so happens that they turn the, this competition is in and the
1: Soviet and the Soviet Union did the, the exact same thing. In they did four, four years later. So. The point is that with so many differences and and so many things happening, at the end of the day, the ones that end up suffering the most are the athletes and the fans.
0: The fans, and we want to see it. We know there's a lot of mistakes being made, but we gotta. By the way, I'm not gonna. Are you don't watch any Winter Olympics? I'm zero excited about that. And I do enjoy. Uh, I do enjoy skiing and ice hockey and stuff, but I just I'm I, I no, can't. It's no, no, no,
1: no, no, no. I mean, okay. especially. Uh, if I'm waking up you know, to watch anything at three in the morning, it's the World
0: Cup. It's the World Cup. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And we're excited. The great thing about the World Cup, which the Olympics does, is they delay some, they can't do it that much, but they delay it for prime time. So you find out the results. That's not happening for the World Cup. You got to get up at two in the morning, four in the morning to watch these games, or you're going to miss yes. out. And we're and we're really excited. We're going to talk about our plans for that as well. But I want to circle back about Mexico and We had I had I had a few laughs here, but you know Mexico got off to a good start in qualifying. They hit a, they got a really bad run because they had like what all these road games back to back to back, and it was very Mm -hmm. challenging going to the United States, going to Canada in the close to the winter months. Your perception of Mexico, how 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 bad it might be, or how good it's going to get? How nervous are you about El Tri and Tata Martino, who will continue to take this team into twenty twenty two? Where are some things you'd like to see improvement? What do you say? Well,
1: I, I think that, you know, that you're right. You know, they did have that tough stretch. And um, I think it came to them like as a bucket of, you know, ice cold water when both the U.S. and Canada defeated Mexico, you know. Um, but, you know, if you look at their next uh, batch of games, right, so they have Jamaica on the road. Yeah, that might not be – you know, uh, an easy game, but it's not going to be uh, as challenging as playing, uh, you know, the U.S. or Canada. And after that, they have a couple of home games: Costa Rica and Panama. I think they'll be able to like secure those points. So if they lose against uh, Jamaica, yeah, I'll probably start getting a little bit nervous. But again, they could quickly recover those points. And remember, at the end of the day, like you know, you want yes, you do want to win uh, the top, uh, the top place. Uh, or, or finish first place because you get the Cabeza de Serie, right? You get the, the, the uh, seated, You get seated, But, um, you know, uh, I, I think overall, like, I'm, I'm confident. Um, I'm curious, like, what Tata Martino is going to do as far as, like, his core players, right? Because I, I, that's the thing. I don't really think he has, like, a set of core players, per se. And there's also, like, you know, a smaller influx of younger players That I think he wants to try to see. I I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day, Mexico takes a combination of like uh, veteran players and then a bunch of young players. And I'm talking about guys like that are 18, 19, 20, 21 as well. You know, there's that kid that uh, it's probably too early, but there's a lot of hype surrounding this Marcelo Flores kid,
0: who Um, was Canadian born, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Technically, he has the right to play. In ca- for Canada, for Mexico, or for the UK. So, you know, he's got like a bunch of different nationalities. But look, if they could secure him and offer him that opportunity, I, I could see somebody like him be similar to Andres Guardado in 2006. Remember that?
0: Wow. That's high praise.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, like you see. Andres Guardado play-
0: 2006. And we have Andres Guardado still with Mexico in 2021.
1: <laughs> Imagine that. But you remember that game against Argentina, right? Yes. I mean, Andres Guardado was just like running circles around those. And and that's – and obviously, you know, like he, he is considered one of the, uh, you know, the great players of the last decade for Mexico. Uh, but my point is that when you look at players like that that are special, you have to give them that opportunity. You know, and if you look at it, Chicharito in South Africa, right, uh, you know, Carlos Vela as well, like, you know, those players – had the opportunity to shine at a very early age during the World Cup. Why not give those players an opportunity to try to make a splash in um, you know, in the World Cup in Qatar, man?
0: That's really interesting, but it, maybe not in qualifying right now, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough situation for Tata Martino to be in. So A, his very talented attacking trio are not playing well for Mexico and not really great and, and have dealed with injuries. We saw that with Irving Lozano over the summer. Raul Jimenez right. had a massive injury. Clearly, he's not the same player. He's shown a few flashes, which is good. No one's pulling for Raul Jimenez more than I am. I can assure you that because I want to see him overcome just one of the most grotesque injuries I've seen in a long time on a soccer field. And then Tecatito Corona, who has been really good in Portugal, but hasn't really. So you have those three guys and that's going to be the core. And they're still yeah. all relatively young, you know, late twenties uh, I, I, or maybe 30, I think for Raul Jimenez. So yeah. those, those are the guys you can push now. Elsewhere. I think some of the older players have kind of pulled them back a bit and, you know, Guardado, mm-hmm. he's kind of phased out now. He's not really in that feature group. So he I. I go,
1: he shouldn't go to the world cup. To be he honest. shouldn't go to the world.
0: There's so many players that I think are going to go to the world cup. And I don't, I, I don't like the fact that they're getting that chance. I, I might be speaking out of turn, but Memo Ochoa has become one of those players too for me. And I know he mm-hmm. is going to the world cup, but I would yeah, love yeah. to see a Carlos Acevedo who has come oh, along. He's very yeah. new to mm-hmm. get an opportunity because I, if Mexico's going to go to Memo Ochoa for a guy who's, you know, hit his heights six, seven years ago, I think that's uh that's dangerous, but
1: look, look, Max, here, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Really no, quick, no, please. But, like, if, if I'm looking at, for example, the last qualifier, not qualifier, the last friendly they had against Chile, right? Some of the players that I personally would take from that specific list, as you mentioned, Acevedo, Acevedo would be one of them, right? Uh, but then also, I look at the likes of like Julian Araujo and Efraín Álvarez. I would definitely take those guys with me, man, just because of the upside, right? It's like you, you know, I, I think of it, I think of it like a, as a stock, right? You buy the stock cheap right now and you nurture it and you water it and it's going to have so much more value. You know, imagine the type of experience that you would give somebody like Araujo, right? Who, in Mexico's defense is crap, dude. Yeah, that's a
0: big problem.
1: Taking guys like Araujo, in my opinion, would be, uh, you know, would, would be vital for their development and their future, you know? Efrain Alvarez, same thing. Efrain Alvarez is only 19, dude so I, I, I by the time he gets to the world cup he's 20 years old so guys like that i think just have uh if you just wanted them like a like a just you know just wanted them like a plant right I think those guys have so much more opportunity to give you much more value tomorrow so you know that, that's kind of like the way that I see it man i hope that Tata looks at this list that he took from the the, the guys against chile and just like grabs the, the the most important guys, and including this guy um, uh, Flores as well, man.
0: That, that's a good sidebar to talk about something else, and because all the guys you just mentioned are dual nationals, these are guys that were raised in Mexico. Efrain Alvarez is from Los Angeles, Mexican family, obviously. Right, Julian is from the Santa Barbara area. Right. Mexico family. David Ochoa, we didn't mention, the goalkeeper who's been also. Another
1: guy. Yeah. He's
0: from Oxnard. Uh, and then Florida's from Canada. Uh, maybe we just leave Florida's out for this discussion. But the dual nationals, this has been a huge flurry of them. And then you have Ricardo Pepe leaning towards, or not leaning towards, but going towards the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Jonathan Gomez, he's another one playing now at Real Sociedad, fullback was with the U.S. camp in December. They need to get him because he's really talented, but he is also a guy who played for Mexico. So I don't remember this many players that are having to make this decision. It's a huge decision. And mm-hmm. you being a, a Mexican-American, you look at what this legacy is going to be like. What are these decisions like for these, these young men? I know it's very difficult, and it stinks that you, it has to be a decision now, and you got to live by it for the remainder of your professional career, but that's the way it is. I don't think it's fair, but it is what it is. And, you know, lines are going to be drawn and Mm -hmm. these guys are going to feel the bearing of it. How do you think those decisions are going to be viewed? How do you think what goes into making those decisions for these guys? Like you grew up in California of Mexican heritage.
1: I, I think that a lot of it has to do with personal emotions, right. And family and what it does to, to your relationship with your family. Right. So depending on how many generations their family has been here. So for example, uh, you know, I I was born in Mexico, but I was raised in the United States. So uh, I'm pretty much an American, you know, because I was raised here most of my life. However, like if I was to, if I was good enough to play soccer and I chose to play for the U.S., my entire family would disown me, you know? So that's what I mean about We we can't have that. (laughs) <laughs> so, you yeah, exactly. So, we don't know. I don't know like what Araujo's family, you know, is like or Efrain or Alvarez, you know what I mean? Like, but, but when there's like that separation, right? When they're like second, third generation, where like everybody speaks English, they don't speak Spanish, you know, um, I, I think it gets a little bit easier. So, that's one. The other thing is money, right? You look at money, and I think that it's probably safe to say that at a national team level, uh, the Mexican National League players are much more marketable. Right. And I think there's more dollars to be made per se with the national team. Obviously, when you're looking at individual clubs, right, like, you know, Dest and and Pulisic, they have uh, higher leverage because of Chelsea. Right. Those are global clubs. But on the national team level, uh, you know, you're going to probably earn a lot more money uh, because of the face uh, and the, the marketing power that the Mexican national team has. So I think those are the things they have to consider.
0: What What do you think about playing time? Is that something that is part of this? Does David Ochoa say, all right, USA has Zach Steffen coming through. They have some good young keepers uh, like Gabby Slodina. That may, may, Mexico may I need think, some I good think, young keepers. Is that I, I Is think, that part of it?
1: I think either or, right? Because, yeah. I mean, also same thing, right? Like if you're looking at uh, – if you're Mexican-American and you're looking at the U.S. squad, and you're a defender, you're like, well, you know what? I probably have more chances of at least battling, you know, for a spot with Mexico because they're so mediocre right now than trying to like fight for a spot with the U.S. men's national team. So I, I think that that certainly takes, uh, you know, into account, but probably not as much because I think if you feel, if you feel confident in your abilities, it doesn't matter, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're a confident player, you're not thinking like, "Oh, well I'm going to go just sit on the bench." You're thinking I'm going to go out there and compete for a starting job. So, I think that that's probably at the bottom of um uh, of their decision, but unless it's like blatantly obvious, right? That you're just like not going to, you know, take out like the starting keeper and like that guy's just going to be there for the rest of his career. And he's 25.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these are obviously big decisions. But it, one thing I hope it does is it blurs the lines between these national teams because you have so many American players, American-born players playing for Mexico, where there's Mexican families. They they obviously are very proud about living in the United States. This is part of their right. day-to-day. They have American friends. and They are American kids, but their families yeah. are Mexicans. They want to play. Ricardo Pepe, a Mexican family, but he said, this country has done so much, I'm going to play for the U.S., And these guys are all friends. These guys all kind of grew up and played together in many ways. They all play in MLS. Yeah,
1: Yeah. you respect them. As a Mexican-American, I respect Pepe's decision 100%, right? If he decided to play for the U.S., hey, that's good for him. Uh, And obviously, I want him to perform well because at the end of the day, he is a person like me, another Mexican-American. He just decided to play for the U.S. But here's the other thing to consider, Max, that – so, for example – even like a lot of these, like you know, Mexican players who are now playing at an MLS, think about also, you know, and, and the best example of that is Carlos Vela. Think about how many US men's national team LAFC fans don't adore Carlos Vela. Yeah, you see what I
0: mean? 100%.
1: That, and that's that's what I'm getting at. Like, when they go back to their club, like, all is forgiven, all is forgotten. Nobody's thinking about, like, oh. Remember the time that Vela did this or whatever, you know, against the U S no, they're thinking about, remember when Vela like scored that sickest goal against whomever opponent.
0: And when Vela comes back, he goes, this is my home. I live in LA. I'm a Los Angelino. I, I, uh, my kids grew up here. My, uh, I believe his second was born here. So it's, it's part of their identity where those lines do get blurred, which I think is good for our game and good for our relationships because we need a lot of work between, the two neighbors, uh, you know, and, just and,
1: and, and then also Max Roller, really quick. I mean, the same thing could be said with uh, with uh, American players playing in Mexico, right? We saw Hercules, right? You know, our friend Hercules when he was like, you know, killing it in Puebla. Nobody was complaining that he ever played for the U.S. Men's National Team,
0: right? We need more. I want to see more Mexican American fans at these USA games. I want to see them cheering for him because I know they're out there. But we we have not done a good job of reaching out to them. The players were getting better. I give Greg Berhalter a lot of credit because he's had these conversations with all the players we mentioned. He said, this is what we can offer you. We'd love to have you. The decision is yours. Everything we've heard about is Greg Berhalter has been the guy who's put his arm around there and not hard-lined them. And same with U.S. soccer. However, we have these situations where and i understand it first of all i understand it with playing games in cincinnati playing games in columbus making tics, tickets available to folks in certain areas which will make that audience look very white american and i mm-hmm. i look we were in cincinnati you could see the advantage this is there's no playing around here you got to qualify for the world cup you got to put your team in the best situation to do so so the U, us soccer is going to play in columbus they're going to play in cincinnati they're going to be playing in minnesota here They're playing in Nashville. Uh, Where else have they played? Um, Austin, which is a bit of the outlier, but it depends on the opponents. But, you know, I want to see the U.S. U.S. soccer is going to put a line in the sand and say, look, we're playing these games because we got to win these games. And the proof is in the pudding. They have won all these games. Mm -hmm. But I want to see that kind of connection being made. With the fans, and more so with the players, which it's not, and we, we saw it. It was a, it was a, it was a exclusively white crowd there in Cincinnati, yep. and we yep. heard about these stories where tickets weren't made available to certain areas because uh, they didn't want to risk maybe having a, right. a pocket of Mexican <laughs> fans, which I get, but it's still a weird practice, which I hope we can move away from.
1: Yeah. So, are you concerned a little bit that um, U.S. fans, uh, or not, not necessarily U.S. fans, but U.S. soccer and the U.S. men's national team? Could be alienating Mexican-American fans? A little bit.
0: A little bit. And I, I don't want to lose them because I think they're there and it's it's an opportunity to have them. And look, I live in LA and I have a lot of Mexican-American friends and we we have these conversations. And I talk to Hercules a lot because he's the guy right in the middle of it all being uh, right. me- a Mexican family who is aligned with the United States. But we don't cater enough to those kind of guys. Our, our identity is... Uh, The Midwest, the Northeast, and Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't think we're represented here enough. That's what's so important with what Ricardo Pepe is doing, because he is shifting that a bit and making the fan base say, look, here I am. I'm one of you. Mm -hmm. There's more like me. And Mm -hmm. this is not only part of our country that we have to acknowledge, but this is part of the country which could put us over the top to do incredible things as a soccer nation. So." I know that I know for a fact that there's Mexican American fans that want to pull for the us. I don't think we have held their hand enough and said you are include we're including them here. And I, I don't know how to do that, but it's you know in, in many ways it's just selfish because it's more money in the pot. It makes this sport bigger. it gets us more more eyeballs, and that's good for me, that's good for you who cover this mm-hmm. sport, but i I don't know what the right way is, but I'd love to see. I'd love to see us stick out the olive branch and, and have those and, conversations. And, 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 and I, do I, goodwill games in those areas.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that, for example, um, one of the places where it could begin is in the domestic league, right? I think that if Major League Soccer does a good job at continuing to cater towards the Mexican-American, Latino-American communities and make them, making them fans, right, of their respective clubs, there's a much bigger chance that if they develop an emotional connection to their local player regardless of color right that they will automatically root for the the country you know what I mean I think that it's it's kind of like uh baby steps but you need to have people like root for the local players and then if those players in turn are playing for the national team they're gonna be like oh okay we're you know uh here's uh, the the player that I root for that plays for my team and I'm going to root for them because they're also part of the, the, the national team as well. And and I, I I have to agree with you. Unfortunately, I don't think that U.S. soccer and, and just like many corporations in many areas, there's just very little outreach and, and the lack of representation for, you know, Mexican-Americans and Latino-Americans across the board is, is very little. But to your point, I think that if they were to, like, you know, yank the best, best talent, uh you know and Pepe's like an example it could certainly like you know just put him over that that over over the top and that's it and it's a game changer it's over you know then mexico's going to be chasing after the u.s for the rest of history
0: yeah and i'd say ricardo pepe's that entry point and that's something u.s soccer can control but everything we do the way we present the sport on over broadcast there's very little uh there's very little indication that we are catering to a Mexican-American audience with our presentation, with everything. So all of this has a lot of room for growth. And again, it's, there's a dollar sign attached to it because I've always said that uh, it's hard to create new soccer fans, but there are a lot of soccer fans that are watching it in Spanish that are in there that you can sort of pull over if you try and they love the sport and they may want something different. So in every yeah, walk of life, advertisers, broadcasters, yeah. U.S. soccer, all there's room for improvement, and just a little bit can go a long way.
1: And, and Max, the other thing, uh, really quick before I forget, um, one of the other things too, is that the Premier League also needs to be very cautious with that too.
0: Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's a great call, man. And they haven't so, done it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's the, the,
0: Mexican, the Mexican, the Mexican American fans are lapping
1: that up. You
0: know, yeah. they're going. We want more of it, even if there's not a Mexican player there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I look at it, NBC's coverage, which is hailed by a lot of industry, right? a lot of folks in the industry, right? And, and, and the coverage is incredible. And, and it's amazing, right? But <clears throat> here's the thing, right? The Telemundo coverage is in Spanish, and it's also catering the uh, older, you know, uh, Mexican, not necessarily, you know, English-dominant, Latino. So, like, what are you doing to cater to the bilingual English dominant uh, Hispanic or Mexican fan of the Premier League you know what I mean so that's kind of like my point right like a lot of the a lot of the a lot of us are like kind of like oh, okay well we don't really care for the English announcer that much you know what I mean like like I, I would much rather have like a, an American announcer like you know telling me about the, or talking to me about the Premier League than I would always like listen to an english announcer but that's just me you know i don't know
0: (laughs) i don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon but we gotta get. but we gotta pass through those thresholds because there's a vocal group that says wait a minute they always use the authentic word i go well at some point we got to try something and see if this uh, accommodates i'm the same way i just want someone talking to me a little bit more i just want balance i want a little bit of everything so fair
1: enough
0: hey uh Final thoughts here on the U S men's national team, because we've talked a lot about Mexico, but how do you see, where do you see this group going? How are they perceived in Mexico? Cause we keep hearing a lot of the Mexican media going, wait a minute. Why aren't we having a guy playing at Chelsea or lifting a champions league, or why don't we have this guy playing at Juventus or Barcelona? I mean, cause Mexico had that and now the U S have really seized control and it's paying off dividends because these guys are bringing that expertise and, at a very young age, they're not going anywhere for a while. So when you see the growth of the U.S., what do you think?
1: Spectacular, in one word. It's spectacular, especially considering um, how things were just four years ago, right? Um, and I think that, to be perfectly honest, the, the that missing the World Cup was the game changer. I think that that definitely created like this ripple effect, this wake-up call. Obviously you are you and I are very well familiar with that <laughs> the day that we live in for me
0: well let's let's just in case people didn't know the uh, the day and I we've we've talked about this when you were on the podcast before but the day the US missed the world cup we were doing sport center and we had Taylor Twellman waiting in the the green room he just watched the game you were the producer I was on air with Nicole Briscoe. Taylor came in and we did that interview which has been heavily I call it the most the most famous american soccer interview ever and I, i'm soccer very segment, proud yeah. to participate because we took advantage of the visceral moment
1: yes it was it, I, I call it the most famous soccer segment ever in US <laughs> so-
0: <laughs> and then we were on espn news because and then the, the powers that be said we kind of screwed up we should have been on espn too and ready for this when it happened because it blew up and everyone was talking about it we give credit to taylor we uh, for being so real when he did that but I think the fact that we had a producer in yourself who knew the sport and an on-air person who knew the sport, we could direct that to the where you wanted. I think it was a real good lesson for us walking away. When you have the right people at the right times, good TV can be made. Good content can be made.
1: Yes. So to, to you know, just pivot off that. It was essentially that day that created the precedence of what we have today. If if the U.S. would have clinched the World Cup, then I think a lot of the, the mediocre things that were occurring behind the scenes would have kept going. But I think that created a lot of change, right? That created a lot more pressure from the federation and from the players. And I think that, um, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of it also is luck, right? The fact that the U.S. has these phenomenal players, uh, it, it, it's it's luck, you know. Like again, we talk about like the 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 deaths. and Pulisic was already there, right? But even then, like he was just starting. But like you know, you're talking about like McKenzie, right? And and all these other players that play the players that play in Europe. I mean, it seems like like back then it was just a handful, and now it's just like an army of players.
0: I, I don't know how it happened, man. It's like one, and every time you look, another one's going and playing. Right. I just it's it's weird because I agree something happened where this came out of the ashes. And I think that's probably a good place to start when they didn't qualify for the World Cup, which is weird because you figure that interest would go down. But instead, more and more players are or at least these European leagues are turning their eyes to the United States and seeing the marketplace. Maybe it was always like that. And now they're really developing it.
1: It's like the Phoenix saga, right? Like to your point, it, it was like they, it it had to die so it could be reborn from the ashes, and like it, it it just took such a crazy turn because again, looking at four years ago to like what we have now, it literally is night and day. So it, it's uh it's it's spectacular. At the end of the day, looking at what U.S. had uh, the U.S. Uh, you know national team has done, uh, it it's amazing. I'm I'm really happy for for the squad. I mean, look, when Mexico when the U.S. does not play Mexico, I'm going to root for the U.S. That's the only time that I don't root for the U.S. to win. So once the U.S. starts playing like uh, all these other opponents, I'm going to root for them. I'm going to hope that the best players are made available, you know. But I also do want people to understand that, uh, you know, the if you want to win more, of the Mexican American fans like they need to be inclusive. They need to include them. They need to call for them. And ask them to join them as well. You know, that's the only way that that's going to happen. But, you know, to, to finalize the answer, uh, Max, it, it's, it's just simply, uh, you know, I, I think that optimistic is a very uh, light way to put
0: the future. <laughs> it's good. And by the way, if, if, if it's USA or Mexico or Canada or Panama or Costa Rica, if they make a semifinal or a final of a World Cup, That's good for everyone. That's going to make CONCACAF really shine. More money comes into it, more investment. You watch. It's good for all parties because we're attached. And now, you know, you see Argentina and South America combining with the Nations League in Europe. We got to look out for ourselves because we're alone out here. So we got to take care of our own business.
1: And we already called it. Remember, we called it. We said one of those teams is going to make it to the quarterfinals.
0: Yes, we called it. You heard it here first. We are banking it. One of the Concacaf teams will make the World Cup sem- quarterfinals in Qatar. Joe Rodriguez of l Three Online, check out l Three Online on Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. It's fantastic content, and uh, it'll it'll get you smarter about all football Mexicano. Always great to chat with you, Joe.
1: Hey, Max, it was a pleasure, man. And you know, it was. Uh, I know that we didn't get a chance too much to talk about our adventures, but this past year. <laughs> was incredible dude I mean like we went everywhere uh and obviously a lot of lessons were learned but like I mean I always like to to tell people and I I feel very not just confident but I also feel very very proud of our work man or our, our if, if people have not seen our shows they should go back and watch our shows from Cincinnati from Denver and see like that you know even with our small teams we put a lot of uh, value in our production and our production value is very visible when you watch the stuff that we do. So uh, it's been great. It's been an honor, like, you know, to be able to work with you this year and I'm hoping that next year we can continue to do some more good stuff, man.
0: Yeah. Looking forward and early. So we'll be cranking on that. Look out for our, our, uh, our co, our co-productions coming up soon with Soccer OG and L3 online, Joe Rodriguez. Always a thrill. We'll have him back because we'll talk more about our year because it was very good. But coming up on stoppage time, we'll talk about Boxing Day and the proliferation of Premier League games over the holidays. What it does it mean? We'll be back on the Soccer OG. At risk of sounding like a broken record, we're going to have an abbreviated stoppage time because we went long at the business end. I was joking with Joe after we went on the air. I go, I didn't know where we were going to go, but I knew we would have a good conversation. And we did. Didn't want to get into stoppage time about really the only show in town right now in soccer. And thank goodness I I, I would be lying to you if I I didn't get thrilled after a wonderful Christmas with my family. Uh, My mom was in town. My brother was in town that I got to get up at 6.50 Pacific time to tune in to... A full docket of Premier League action, all the big games. There were some postponements because of COVID. And I think that's part of the story because COVID's made these festive seasons a little precarious. I thought we would not see games on Boxing Day. I think a few of them got, I think it was four. Was that right? Four? Uh, And these COVID-related, a lot of teams short of players, But all the big clubs were certainly, a lot of the big clubs were in action. We saw Manchester City lay down a marker against Leicester City. Brendan Rodgers is not happy about that. We'll talk about that here shortly. We saw Arsenal continue their incredible run by beating bad teams and beating them convincingly. I'm a big believer now in Arsenal. I think they figured it out. Uh, Martinelli and Sacco, just two superb young talents Odegaard is really pulling the strings there in Shaka. It's good to see that come together because they have really labored. I, you know, Arsenal good in the Premier League is just going to take that league to a whole new level. And that's where it is right now. It's at a whole new level. And the, the big deals that we saw with NBC with 2.8 billion, and you know the deals are being made. Uh, with several broadcasters in Britain and then throughout Europe. Everyone wants to see the Premier League throughout Africa and Asia and Mexico. Everyone wants to see the Premier League for obvious reasons because it is the best league. There's no discussion about it. There was a discussion two, three years ago. There's no discussion about it now. Uh, they, you, ha- you look at the Champions League. Four Premier League teams went through. No other league matched that. And I think that's going to continue to see the gaps. You have to look at who could compete To win it, you know all the remaining Premier League teams have a shot at it. Maybe not Manchester United, but maybe if they fall together with Ragnarok. But Chelsea are the reigning champions. Manchester City, I think, are the high-money favorites. And then Liverpool also give it a run. Who else could compete for it? Bayern? Yes. PSG? Eh. Real Madrid? Possibly. That's it. And that's the Premier League teams. Those are the teams that could win the Champions League. Ajax? I'd love to see it. Maybe not. Just don't have the resources. So a lot of people, and uh, Antonio Conte even said he was talking to the Premier League folks about bending some of this festive games to help accommodate the teams that are losing so many players due to COVID. And he says, well, it was like talking to a brick wall. They don't want to move anything. This is always about money. It's about going to the broadcasters, which is fine, which is fine. They want these mo- With all the people that go to the games in England, I mean, everyone's watching it. I don't know what they rated here, but, you know, we had games in a 7 a.m. window. Then you had a game at the 10 a.m. window, which was the Chelsea-Aston Villa game, which was really compelling. Sterling for us here in the United States with Christian Pulisic participating. And then you had Brighton-Brentford, the late game. Remember, the Pirley doesn't do late games like that anymore. It was like 12.30 Pacific time, 3.30 East Coast time. So you had that. And now you have games coming up on the 28th. And now you have games on New Year's Day. So it is really demanding I saw this interview with Michael Antonio of West Ham and they were asking, What's the Christmas what's a Christmas like for you? He goes, I haven't experienced Christmas. He goes, I think every almost every year I'm in a hotel on Christmas. Not with my family. And that broke my heart. Now, by and large, when you talk to players and was it like playing Boxing Day? They love it. It is Boxing Day, but maybe it's time to adjust the rest of the schedule. Keep Boxing Day. And I want to say this about the English public. If it's cold, if it's rainy, if they have to do something post-Christmas, there's no excuses. They all show up. There were some empty seats, I know, at the West Ham game that I was watching. So they weren't all flying out. But generally, they're very well supported. I even go back to the League Cup. So just for some background, you have the Premier League. You have the FA Cup, which is the big cup competition. Then you have the League Cup, which is a secondary cup competition, which it's hard to keep pace with all of this. It shouldn't be a big deal. But they just had the quarterfinals. And the places were packed. The fans were into it. Game at Liverpool. Game at Tottenham Hotspur. They were just really into it. And it's hard not to take it, uh, make a bigger deal out of it. And it's completely fan-driven. Just like the FA Cup. So it's, uh, the fans there make the sport as big as it is, as part of anything. Obviously the players and the money as well. But that's, they lift it. And they lift these Boxing Day fixture because it's when you go out with your family. I love it. And I really enjoyed it. But when I hear about Michael Antonio and I hear about other situations and look the uh, the boxing day tradition and I'm not attacking it. Keep it. Although I want to see Michael Antonio spend Christmas with his family one of these days. Uh it goes way back to the 1880s where the league first started and it became a huge tradition. Um 12 teams played on this Boxing Day. So not everyone plays on Boxing Day. And Boxing Day is like where post-Christmas boxes, blah, blah, blah. It's not Larry Holmes fighting Mike Tyson. Excuse me. <coughs> and then we here at the United States and many other places watch it on home. It's a tradition. December 26th. It's a bank holiday. Um... It's traced back to Charles Dickens, who coined the term in 1833, and it's been a holiday since 1871, and football leagues played there since 1888 on Boxing Day festivities. Everyone who talks about it speaks so fondly, but we're hearing the managers talking about, look, we have a real hard stretch here, and Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City lost to Manchester City 6-3, another really, really entertaining game. And he has to turn around now to face Liverpool on the 28th. He says it's a ridiculous schedule. Players aren't fully recovered for 72 hours after a game. So for us to be playing on a Tuesday against Liverpool is ridiculous. We have to play the game so there will be virtually no physical work, just recovery work. Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool said the same thing. And if you're not a top club, you have no shot. A lot of these teams head into this festive stretch, festive, the holiday stretch, completely deer in headlights in fear that their season will be sabotaged. We've seen it. The team is in seventh place. They have some injuries. They can't play five games or four games in eight days. They, they get one point and then they're from seventh, they're in 15th. We've seen it all the time. You see it all the time. And it hurts the little teams. It is built for the big clubs, which is great. That's where the money's at. But you're not looking after all your members of the English Premier League. They've got to adjust this schedule. Get rid of that 28th. I'd say get rid of January 1st. Maybe have some teams here and there. And what it tells me when the Premier League and there are slings and arrows shot at FIFA and UEFA for overstepping with their money and what they are able to do. The Premier League is no different. The Premier League is no different. And they're looking out for their big clubs who benefit from all of this. It's not fair. It's fun to watch. It's not fair to the players. It's not fair for the managers. The managers get fired if they don't compete. It's something they have to change. Keep Boxing Day. Adjust the other things. I have to duck out of here because I've gone on way too long. I appreciate all of you. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under Max Bretos. As I always like to say, at the end of every program... Placido Domingo